Hi everyone and welcome back to Front Page Football, the World Cup podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Magan, and we're going to talk a little bit about the quarterfinal, the round of 16, and, and what is going on, of course, right now in the World Cup. Two guests joining me today uh, on the Front Page Football World Cup podcast, Russ Gibbs, uh, English-born and my uh, my adversary on Sunday morning when friends in England play each other, uh, and uh, Dylan um, Bozivesic, who's going to talk with me about the rest of the World Cup, I guess, every every game and what has happened until now, and a bit of a look at um, what the quarterfinal are going to look like. As always, please go and check out frontpagefootball.net, the website. The last few articles, uh, Christian Marchetti wrote an article about can the A-League straighten their relationship with the Southeast Asian football? Matt Olsen has a great article about uh, the, mis- the most common misconception about the Socceroos heroic class of 2022. Uh, and a few more articles by Jilan, by Antonis, by Jack. Jump in on frontpagefootball.net and also go and listen to all the other podcasts. The reaction podcast to that narrow defeat 2-1 against Argentina was a great podcast by the rest of the team. Anyway, the World Cup podcast of front page football episode yeah, episode 4 yeah, episode 4 starts now So I'm with Russ Gibbs uh, that I don't need to introduce anymore. We, you know him now. Uh, and we're here to talk about, of course, his uh, his country of birth, England, and my country of birth, France, who are going to meet in the quarterfinal. A, a quick one, Russ, uh, thanks for being here first. And, and a quick one before we go into, uh, I guess, the game that interests us the most. Uh, the Socceroos out uh, against Argentina. Uh, what did you make of, of that game uh, that Australia played? Uh, was it Saturday morning? Yeah, Saturday morning. I think they gave everything they could, didn't they? They were pretty good from start to finish. I think we all expected Argentina to have too much quality. And um, let's be honest, they wasted quite a few chances to to f- score a few more goals against against us. But I think the performance, when they went 2-0 down, could easily have been for them to crumble. But they showed huge spirit. Got a bit lucky with the goal, of course. Um, but could have taken it to extra time. And I think they really shook up um, Argentina, particularly in the last 15 minutes. Um, pace and the power of, of, of parts of the soccer's game caused them problems. And on a slight tangent, I think that's why the Netherlands will cause them problems uh, in the quarterfinals. But I was really proud of what the soccer's did. More to the point for me, though, was, wasn't was the support fantastic around the country? Um, 20-odd thousand down at Amy Park there. Federation Square packed, even in Canberra here where we are. 4,000 plus at Civic Square. It was just brilliant to see. And only football can do this. No other sport in the country has got the ability to unite people like we do. No other sport in the country is going to get people up at 2 a.m. in the morning for a match against Denmark in the middle of the middle of the night to watch it. I mean, the places were packed at 6 a.m. People would have been getting there at 4, 4 5 a.m. To, to secure their spots. Nothing else can do it. And it's important for us to be able to kick on with that now. And hopefully... The Australian government can see this and go, well, this is a sport we need to get behind. We need to put our money behind, but, you know, get get off the political wagon. But, yeah, it needs to be supported now and very proud of what they achieved. Yeah, I think it was uh, it was an achievement. And uh, as you said, I think what's important would be that the, that the sports in Australia develops uh, on the back of this. I mean, we know that anywhere a World Cup is played, there are uh, real ramifications and, and real boosts 
but when a team performs, it's it's the same thing. Um, and and next year we have the the women's World Cup uh, in Australia and New Zealand, uh, which is going to be uh, another opportunity to get the the momentum going. But yeah, hopefully the results keep coming for for the Socceroos and uh, and with the with the A League back this weekend and a few players that were at the World Cup uh, present at the stadium. That I don't know if they'll play or not. They'll definitely, I'm sure, do their little tour to to say hi to the fans. Hopefully it brings. A few more crowds uh, in our in our stadiums as well. Uh, you, you quickly touch on on Netherlands, Argentina, and of course Argentina uh, hasn't been all all perfect all along the competition. They lost to Saudi Arabia. They were they were pushed by uh, by Australia until the very end. And the Netherlands, you know, a little bit unspoken for, um, are, are creating. I'm making their own little World Cup. They're getting results. There's there's some young players like Gakpo that. You know, you know, if you follow um, Danish, um, Danish, so Dutch football, uh, but but otherwise, you know, I'll just sort of like finally explain onto the world stage. Uh, and, and you think Argentina is just a little bit too little for Netherlands, despite, of course, the Leo Messi. I have a sneaky feeling that the Netherlands might beat them in the quarterfinal, just because of they've got a good defence, as we all know, and they've got a, a, a good midfield that can create chances. They move the ball very swiftly. Um, they've got good attacking uh, intent at the other end, pace. And power as well. I mean, Argentina are a great side, but we saw with the Socceroos, if you got them with it with purpose, um, they're a bit shaky, and they relied a lot on on the quality of Messi. And who wouldn't? I mean, you've got the best player in the world there, and you know you might as well give him the ball and see what he can do. And there's every chance that he'll play the game of his life again and 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 score the goals that knocks the Dutch out. But I just have a sneaky suspicion that the Dutch have been flying under the radar a little bit. They've been out there, so they've got good and under well, you know, sides that win matches, so they might do it. But Argentina are, are very good, and um, you know, who doesn't want to perhaps see an Argentina Brazil semi final without all due respect to, to Croatia and the Netherlands? But I think it might be Netherlands that go through. Yeah, I think well, any of those any of those four teams meeting in the semi final would be amazing, but yeah. Brazil Argentina has that um, extra flavor to it. All right, let, let's go home. Uh, England Senegal 3-0, and before that, France Poland 3-1. Well, both teams score three. Um, Poland scored at the very last minute on penalty to 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 put one past France. Uh, but two, you know, two. I'm not going to say too comparable because they didn't really play the same way. But two performances that were pretty solid by the by the two nations. Uh, and, and they they deserve to meet each other, and and we talked about it on the last pod. They were kind of meant to to meet each other, yeah. and that's going to be a, a pretty good game. What did you think of uh, the three Lions against Senegal? I thought England's performance against Senegal was really good. First fifteen minutes, Senegal came out action packed, which we thought they probably would do. And Jordan Pickford was forced to make a really good save um, at nil nil, and it was a good save. But once England scored, um, they were f- very much in control of the game, and. I think I mentioned on my social media accounts in the week, I've not sat through an England World Cup knockout match with half an hour to go in England 3-0 up and felt that comfortable about a performance ever in my lifetime. They they played really well. They were defensively pretty sound, kept Senegal at arms bay, um, took the opportunities when they come and took their goals really well and probably could have had a couple more. Really importantly, I think Harry Kane's off the mark now. Um, that's going to be good for his confidence. You know, it's just like with strikers, we've seen it with other forwards in the tournament, particularly... Um, uh, Mbappe, once you get one under your belt, all of a sudden they start flowing. So England will hope that that's the case. Uh, midfield, I thought there was a little surprise with Jordan Henderson's selection. 
Um, I was a little bit baffled by it myself. But then, of course, Gareth Southgate showed why he's manager of England. I'm not because uh, Jordan <laughs> Henderson was very good and scored a goal. And Jude Bellingham, well, what a performance he put in. Yeah. Um, I think he's just he's just earned Borussia Dortmund another huge chunk on the transfer fee, hasn't he? Because he was just everywhere. Um, they're peaking at the right time at the moment. They're scoring goals. They're not conceding many. Um, and dare I say it, they look really strong. Um, and for me, this game would be a worthy final, to be honest, because these two teams have been really good. I think England have scored more goals than anyone at the tournament so far and eight different goal scorers, which is always helpful. But it's England and you never know what they're going to put up next. We saw a fairly ordinary performance against America and, and three other really decent ones. So we'll wait and see. What, what would you say are the main strengths uh, of England this year? Is that, you know, is that the fact that, that Bellingham Rice um, is working really well? Is that the fact that whoever you put on, there was Mount, now it's Foden. Uh, obviously, Saka has been great. Sterling might be back. Um, or, or is that the, the, the fullbacks who are having an, an actual um, OK World Cup as well? Where are you the most impressed um, performance-wise? A bit of everything, really, to be honest, because it's been, I think you touched on it there, the depth is really important. To be able to bring quality off the bench that they have in the last few games, you know, Saka started the first game, scored a couple. They brought Rashford in, he scored a couple. Saka's back in the team again, scores again. Um, you've got options up front. You've got options in midfield. We saw uh, Bellingham and Henderson start um, last week. Mason Mounts had, had games and minutes in there as well. You've still got Calvin Phillips that hasn't played. Grealish and Foden have been... In and out, I thought Foden was brilliant against Senegal. Um, so the huge amount of options that Gareth Southgate's got to pick from, and I think that's probably the most impressive thing. When you look at the lineups and you go, well, which teams have got the depth to win this World Cup? Who've got the options to change things off the bench? Um, and England and France definitely both do have that. Brazil do as well. Uh, maybe less so now. A couple of their players have been injured um, and are forced to forced to go home. But, you know, you look at their squads and go, the ones with the depth will go through. Uh, for me, though, maybe the most impressive part of it has been been the defence. Um, there was a lot of question marks over the defence before the before the tournament started over whether that back four was quick enough or whether that back four was good enough. Um, Harry Maguire and John Stones have been really good together, as they generally are in an England shirt. Um, and the two fullbacks have been superb, whether it's been Trippier or Walker on one side and Luke Shaw on the other. Um, and defensively, they're going to need to be really sound against France. They have to be. I was saying to my old man who's here watching the World Cup with me, um, which is nice. I haven't seen a World Cup with him since about 2002, so it's nice That's for him to be here. Um, just saying the one player in, in the world that perhaps could match Kylian Mbappe is Carl Walker because of his pace. Um, and they have to start him because that's the main threat. But yeah, the defence has been the best aspect for me. Well, you answered that one for me. I was going to say there was some criticism that Gareth Southgate had gotten three right back with uh, Trippier, Walker and uh, uh, TAA and Alexander Arnold. But yeah, I think when you have... When you're about to face a team like France, you, you kind of want to have them at least to uh, use the pace of Walker first. And then if, if the legs are shaky at the end, being able to bring somebody in who, who can stop that, you know, that yeah. eternal threat that is Mbappé. Yeah, you. I mean, you've got Walker. And I, I think Walker will probably start. I mean, Trippier is a good, a good option as well, but Walker being quicker is probably the option. We haven't seen a lot of Trent Alexander-Arnold at the moment. I actually think he could probably do a job further forward if necessary, if they want to switch the system around a bit and play with a wing-back. Um, but defensively, I think he's not had a great season for Liverpool, unfortunately. Um, there's been question marks over his defensive talent for quite some time. And I think putting him in up against someone like Mbappe would be would be a bit foolhardy. Um, England aren't going to be quite so gung-ho. We, they might well revert to the two midfielders, holders that um, they had before. And that would probably mean that 
you, you sacrifice someone a bit further forward, whether that's a Foden, I'm not sure. Um, I'd like Gareth Southgate to go out with the same similar kind of outlook that he had against Senegal. However, when you do that against France, uh, you leave yourself open to, to being caught on the break. And we've seen what they've got, the French. I mean, it's no surprise. These two teams know each other very well. They're not going to be surprised by each other. It's not as if they haven't played each other before or the players aren't familiar with each other. So it's going to be an absolutely cracking game. But I think England defensively need to be on the top of their game if they're to get something from it. Off the pitch, we've heard that uh, Ben White had to go home for um, personal reasons. And, and then now uh, Ryan Sterling is gone back to England as well after his home got attacked or, or whatever. Is that the kind of um, events that, that can, you know, kind of change the dynamic in the group and, and make the team worry about something else than, than what's happening on the green grass? Oh, I actually think it works the other way, to be perfectly honest. You look at the prime example of Christian Eriksen. Um, for Denmark in the Euros, where he had that horrible moment where we all thought we were going to lose him. Um, and you wondered how the group would react around situations where players are unavailable or they have to go home for particular reasons. And you tend to find that the group unites and it brings them together a bit more. And, they, and for want of a football cliche, doing it for your mate. I mean, the, the issue surrounding Raheem Sterling is, is disgraceful. Um, it's, it's a real shame that someone of his quality needs to miss out on a World Cup because of the actions of an individual back at home. But I understand completely, being a family man myself and you as well, Jeremy, the family's your number one priority and, and the full support of all the true England fans are behind him going, well, we hope him, him and his family's OK. And if we don't see him back at this World Cup, that's fine. You know, some things are more important than football. As much as the World Cup is a huge event and it's massively important, at the end of the day, it's just a football match and things mm. are more important outside of that. So, yeah, I think it might unite the groups. Um, and I don't think it will be disruptive in any way, shape or form. Let's look at Les Bleus. 3-1 win against uh, Poland. 2 a.m. It, it was hard to wake up and, uh, and my voice was definitely shaky for the rest of the day uh, after I've watched it. Um, but a solid performance. Uh, a goal before halftime, just just before, just like England. Or England scored two before halftime. Uh, and then two in the second half to kind of seal the deal. Uh, and, and very much like England, the first 15-20 minutes uh, the other team had a couple of opportunities and uh, and Lloris and the whole defense, to be honest, made a save each on their line at one point to uh, to deny Poland the, the first game. Uh, but then the, that feeling that this team is just very strong. Upamecano is uh, is finally performing with the French national team at the right time. Uh, players like Varane, Chouameni, Koundé don't even have to be at 100% of their capacity for the team to get a good result. Even Lloris isn't um, sort of like, you know, free of all mistakes because because he's a bit shaky here and there but when you have a guy like Griezmann who's literally everywhere on the pitch Mbappé who can score at any point in time and the two goals he scored against Poland are pretty special and, and Giroud can put that pressure up front and Dembélé who's been less good against Poland but still can bring both the dribbling ability the provoking ability and, and the assists um, it is a complex squad I'd say that I think the bench is better for England than it is for, for France in France the bench is a bit um, less experience. I mean, as we could see that if one of the strikers isn't there, then you're looking at maybe Kingsley Coman is a good option to replace Dembele. But then after that, it's Marcus Thuram or Randall Kolomwani, who are players that are great, but they are just less experienced. Same on the midfield. We've, we've touched on the midfield issues in the past, mm -hmm. uh, but it's Matteo Guendouzi or uh, Yusuf Fofana or Dan Verutu who are coming in. So there's just less experience of that level um, on the bench for France. Do you think that the team, that team had enough, I guess, uh, strength to 
to really rival England. I mean, you're, you're an English fan, so maybe yeah, you hope that. not. But um, yeah, I don't think there's anything in the French team to worry about, is there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, you mentioned it, and I think that's the difference you touched on. It. There's maybe more experience in the England team, um, but there are, there is more. I think perhaps more X factor in the in the French starting eleven, um, and you've got the what I would suggest at the moment. Um, World Cup, the best striker at the World Cup. I don't want to say best striker in the world right now because there's a bloke in the light blue of Manchester City who seems to score <laughs> every time he touches the football, doesn't he? But um, and I happen to think, and I mentioned this a couple of years ago, that we're, this Ronaldo-Messi debate that we have now is going to be this Haaland and Mbappe debate that goes on forever and a day. And, you know, it, it is that I think that's going to happen. But yeah, I think we talked about it before about the French midfield and I wasn't sure it was as strong as it could possibly be with a couple of absentees in there that, that we mentioned beforehand. Um, but it's a great squad. Uh, it's got balance, which is important. Really good balance, good good defensive now. It's got quality going forward. England are going to have to be at their best. Um, I think we need to have... The, how they cope with Mbappe and where they force him is, is the key, isn't it? I think where if they can shut down the supply line to him in the first instance, that's going to be important. The, the, the pressing in the middle of the park, um, cutting out the supply and the through balls to him is going to be keen. And then how they deal with him there. I think Giroud um, will actually suit uh, playing against Maguire. Uh, I think Maguire likes playing against physical players because that's his, that's his skill set. Um, I mean, if you put Mbappe up against Maguire, he's going to have palpitations, I think. But if, if he marks up against Giroud, it might well be a contest that, that um, is quite even. I look across the whole two teams and go, well, there's not much between them all. And I think it might boil down to which goalkeeper plays best on the day because mm-hmm. both of them are good goalkeepers. And as you mentioned just then, both of them are prone to the odd error. Um, and whether if that odd error might well come and, and make the difference between the two sides on the day. Lloris, we've seen him make a few errors. Pickford, I've seen him make a few errors. Which one of those plays well might well decide this, but I don't think there's going to be a lot in it, to be honest. Yeah, I'd agree. I was looking at the, the two squads and I was thinking whoever controls the midfield, again, football cliche, but whoever controls the midfield we, will get a, a strong ascendant on the game. But also you have a team on one end, England, who, who I think this World Cup has tried to play a bit more football and, and not wait and play in counter-attack, but actually create the game where the France is actually very happy right now to defend strongly and to look for Mbappe onto the left wing. And if he's taken, then we look at option two or three, which is Dembele and then maybe Giroud. Um, so, so I think it's going to be very important what happens uh, in the middle of the park. But I also think we might very well see uh, uh, yeah, attack against defence and everything in the French final third um, until Mbappé goes and goes and counter-attack, which is not the best thing. But I think if uh, if that's what Deschamps does to win, and if he wins, we, we, we'll accept it. But I think both teams won't mind if the game's stretched because they've both got a lot of quality and pace in the front third that can cause problems to the opposition defence. I think the key might be to try and, as you say, compact it a bit better uh, so that, that those gaps aren't there. But the, the problem you have is that when you do compact it in the midfield, the, the quality on both these sides is good enough to play around it. I, I, I do actually do think, and as I said at the start of the show here, that this could be a this would be a World Cup final and, and everyone look at it and go, this is two great teams that are going to play for this. But it... it it's going to come down to moments and who takes those moments. We've seen chances and opportunities for teams come and go. A Belgium prime example, opportunities to to score a goal and go through didn't, um, and it can hurt you. And, and it might just come down to one mistake or one, I hope, one piece of brilliance rather than one mistake. 
we've also seen um, and maybe it's been the case of every World Cup, but I don't know why I feel like this World Cup is is more than others. We've seen so many uh, change of situation. Um, you know, one team opens the score and then it goes the other way and then it goes the other way again. Last time was the, the Serbian game was a, a good example of that. Um, so, so yeah, I think it, it could very well be one of those games. Interestingly enough, against Poland, uh, Deschamps said he wasn't happy at halftime, so he had to make one minor tactical adjustment. And I think that adjustment was putting Griezmann down. He's already playing number eight. He was almost playing number six in the second half against Poland to try and touch the ball early. And, and I mean, he loves it. it it's weird for me to see a striker becoming a number six. It's, it's rare. I think that you see that in the middle of the back on the wing. Sometimes you see the players going down, but more more rare, rarely so in the, in the middle. Uh, but I think it's it's probably one of the keys because it, it presses everywhere. He never stops running. And of course, when you got a guy like Griezmann on the ball early, same way England has Bellingham, somebody with that technical ability and who's capable of, of quickly projecting the football up front. Um, th- this is where issues um, can happen on both sides. You mentioned Giroud against um, um, against Maguire, which is, I think, going to be one of the keys of the game. Speaking of, there are already chatter in, in France that maybe Giroud doesn't start for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Coman and Dembele would be around Mbappe to try and, you know, play where the where the weaknesses are for England, which is definitely not the physicality, but, but, but more the movement. Is that something that would kind of like worry you or would you think, oh, they're changing, you can't change to adapt to another team, you, you might lose your game? Well, I think there's a bit of from column A, a little bit from column B there, isn't it? I mean, if France come out and not playing Giroud, I think it changes the way they play their their football and they the way they've been playing it over the last couple of years. With it. If it's not been Giroud in that role, it's been Benzema. So you're asking the team to change something in a, in a World Cup quarterfinal. Now, it would be a surprise if they did it. I mean, if they did do it, I think England would need to readjust um, slightly. Uh, it would be a question of whether or not where they go across, I think, across that front line. Um, if it's Dembele, he likes to peel a bit wide, doesn't he? And Komen likes to go wide as well. Mbappe likes to go wide. And you're thinking, well, if they're not going to send anyone down the middle, then technically Maguire's going to be free anyway. So it, it's going to be asking a player that's not used to playing in that position to go up up against him. Now, foot race, all three of them are going to beat him, all three of them. But England's physicality, I think, if they did make that change, I'd be very surprised. But you never know. Deschamps got the quality. He has won many tournaments as both a player and a coach. And this is why, because he comes up with these tactical tweaks. I'm sure Gareth Southgate will look at it and and and, and adjust it accordingly. Um, I, yeah, I'll be concerned, I think if that was the case, because I think most people would as well, because John Stones isn't necessarily the quickest either. Um, I think where England could get some joy is perhaps off set pieces. Um, they've looked very strong off those kind of things, and it all depends on what referee and VAR we get as well, doesn't it? I mean, it's a huge amount of ifs, buts and maybes on this. Um like to see whether both teams do start, try something different. I mean... As you're looking at it and you're going, well, we're talking about it now and we're thinking it's France will play with Giroud. We're assuming England are going to play with perhaps two holding midfielders. We're assuming that Harry Kane's going to play up front. We're assuming that Saka's going to start. Might not, you know. It's, it's all different. Mm-hmm. We'll wait and see on uh, on the weekend. Maybe, uh, yeah, a day for, uh, for mind games. If England mm. beats France, how special is it for England? I mean, you look at the 2018 World Cup when they make it to the semi-final. They beat Colombia and Sweden, so they don't beat, you know, a, a top three, four, five country in the world. And then they, they fail against Croatia, but it was at the point where no one expected England to even make it there. But it was definitely a bit of a, uh, I guess, a, a weaker side of the table, I'd say. It was what Spain, Russia, Croatia, Denmark, I mean, in front of me, Sweden, Sweden, 
Colombia and England, which it looks much stronger right now. How special is it for for English football if they make it to the semi-final by getting through France? Oh, look, I mean, you look at the historical aspect of it, England, France, or any sport, um, in any time is, is always a massive game and two huge rivals that have massive respect for each other as well. I think you've got to look at it as well. It'll be England knocking out the current world champions, um, which would be huge as well. And I do think that either side that goes through this game would probably be favourites to win the World Cup. Again, look at the other half, Brazil, brilliant. Um, but both these sides are battle-hardened and I think whoever wins it will go, well, this is there for us now. We can take this. So, yeah, it would be absolutely huge for England to beat France um, on the weekend. It's a really hard game. I mean, it's of all the teams left in the quarterfinals, probably the one team that you wouldn't want to play at France. Well, I'd rather play Brazil um, that right about now than France because of the difference in, in quality between uh, the way they play the game. France match up really well across the park with England and probably got better individual talent. Um, but it's all going to be on, on, we've seen before, it's not individual talent doesn't necessarily win you football matches. It's who prepares best and who who uh, who puts out the best performance on the day. But it would be huge. I mean, we've seen probably, as I say, England play France in rugby World Cup matches. And every time they meet each other on a football field, it's just huge for both countries. But uh, it's going to be one of those ones that I think if England do win, the question is not to get carried away. There's still plenty more to do. I think the, the last souvenir that I might have, the last memory that I might have about France England in, in an important tournament like this would have been the the third game at Euro 2004 when uh, when Zidane scored two goals in the last two minutes of the game, the yeah. free kick and the penalty. I mean, of course, me French would remember that side of it, and I, I remember, remember it as well. <laughs> I wouldn't remember any time where France did not win. Yeah. Um, I remember it very well. I remember watching it and England England scored reasonably early, I think, didn't they? And they were fairly comfortable yeah. for most of the game. And then two errors and, and France, with the quality of Zidane, won the game. And, you know, you, that's what you're talking about. You know, just two pieces of uh, one error and a piece of quality. And all of a sudden the game's turned on its head. And that can happen in an instant with two good sides like that. I think England, England will, you know, you, you look at it and go, well, we're just playing each game as it comes. It's real cliche. It's a World Cup. You're not going to win the World Cup by winning on on, on the weekend, but you can't win it if you don't win. So both sides need to go out there and play, and I really think it's going to be a corker. It's Tuesday night here in Australia where, where we're recording, and uh, France and England are playing on, on Sunday morning, 6 a.m. I'm almost afraid to ask because you were right last time, and, and <laughs> I, I know my, what your answer might be. So can, can you give us your prediction for... For this France England mattress, I'm going to go with my heart and say England are going to win two one. Good, <laughs> but I mean, but go ahead, go ahead. but you you know France win, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Do you know what I mean? It's a I'd love I'd love England to do it. We've never we haven't won a World Cup in my lifetime. It's a it's been a long long time between drinks for us, and you guys have won lots over the last few years. So it's time for us to to you know spread the wealth a bit. <laughs> share the love. I'm going share to say one love. one and a and a penalty win. So then we all uh, we Look, all have a couple to, of heart attacks. If it goes to penalties, then England won't win. <laughs> Our record <laughs> of penalties. I mean, when you look at the history of English in English football in World Cups, people say they underachieve. But if you look at the history of English football in World Cups, generally they get to the quarterfinal stage, and that's it. We don't tend to get further, much further than that. A couple of semi-finals here and there, and one final. So this is achieving really for England getting to this stage anything else is a bonus 
So that's when you look at it historically. They keep, obviously, they get a media in the UK and and a selection of the fan base that talk them up a lot and go, they're going to win it each year and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it's great to have some blind optimism, but they get heaped pressure on them. Don't feel there's too much pressure on this group per se. I haven't heard too many rumblings that England are going to win this tournament. There's just been the same as at Euro 2020. There wasn't many, many rumblings about that. It was just let them get about their business. Um, unlike in the golden generation, you know, where they were like, well, this, this team's going to win, et cetera, et cetera. So they tend to get to a quarterfinal and that's the limit of where they get to. But, you know, should they get past this stage? I mean, as every team will, they'll dream about what could be. And I can't, like I said, I can't think of a harder game for us at this stage. But, you know, you want to win the World Cup, you've got to beat the best teams. Yeah, you go. Yeah, actually, think about the, the golden generation. Nine, there's always been something, right? 98, it's Beckham's red card. 2002 is that free kick from 55 meters from Ronaldinho that loves Seaman. Uh, it's always been when England think yeah. they can make it, they they just, fail. I don't know if it's falling short, it's against great teams. Uh, but but yeah, the pressure is much less since 2018, or at least it feels like it, because everybody feels like they're just young and up-and-coming players getting there, getting there. But but that's where you that's where you get the results. The, the round of 16, we'll just touch on that um, before, uh, before I let you go about your night, Russ. Uh, most games have ended up with the favorite winning. There's two more games to play, Morocco, Spain, and Portugal, Switzerland in the morning. Do you see one upset happening or are we going to have a, a Spain-Portugal and, and probably for the first time in, I don't know, 24 or 28 years, um, a quarterfinal with only technically the best teams at that at that level of the competitions involved? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see an upset. Um, I'd love to see Morocco carry on uh, their performances and, and get past Spain. It'd be nice to see Switzerland uh, get over Portugal, but um, I, I can't see either of them happening, to be honest, when you get to this stage of the tournament. I only say the Morocco one as well, because if they don't go through, we've got quarterfinals, which have got six European sides and a couple of South Americans, and everyone will just turn around and go, OK, well, football in the rest of the world is not that great then, is it? And it's too simplistic to say that, mm-hmm. um, which would be nice to see if Morocco could upset the apple cart. I think Spain, it's a tough game for them, isn't it? I mean, Morocco have been playing some good football um, and any side at this time time can push anyone. We saw Croatia and Japan and you're going to talk about that later, I think, aren't you? And we saw that go to penalties. That's anyone's game then, isn't it? So I don't think there's going to be upsets. I think Portugal and Spain will probably go through. I think they've got too much quality, but I'd like love to see one. Um, And then England could play Morocco in the semi-final. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. It'll be reductive to say that in quarterfinal it's only a Europe and South America when we've seen how well the Asian teams have fared and and how well the African teams have fared as well. There, there was definitely a few um, involved up, up until that round, but yeah, it, it did look a little bit like teams like Brazil, France, and England as well um, well, really at, turned it up. You got to look at the teams that everyone's been playing as well, and I look at England's group and and the road that they've got to get there. And if you think about it. And you think about who they've been playing. They've played um, the highest-ranked Asian team um, in Iran. They've played the CONCACAF champions in America. They've played the African champions in Senegal. And they've played the um, probably their, their closest neighbours um, in a little bit of a stoush in Wales. So they've, they've, it's not been easy. I mean, And the World Cup isn't easy. You know, It's never going to be easy. But when you're playing a couple of champions of their confederations... Um, it's standing you in good stead because you're obviously playing good quality football teams from different parts of the world who've conquered their continent um, and and they're here at the World Cup. So, yeah, it's good to see. And I just want, I think each game has been 
each continent's got their own qualities and we, it's good to see the three Asian teams get through. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be for them. Uh, South Korea were blown away this morning mm-hmm. um, in that first 25 minutes, half an hour by Brazil. Exceptional from, from Brazil. Um, and they just couldn't live with it, unfortunately. But And this goes back to what we talked about before. It's a depth, isn't it? Most teams have got great players out there. You look at Senegal. If Mane plays that game, is it different? Yeah. Quite possibly. Who knows? He's not there and they haven't got the depth to cover. Um, and the same for some of the other countries as well. So, yeah, it'd be good to see an upset or two. Um, I would say England beating France is an upset, so we'll we'll, we'll have that one. It's, it's it's maybe a bit of that one. And you heard it, it first, England might win 2-1 on Sunday morning. It worked last time. Why wouldn't it um, oh, work this, this time if, around? If they, win, if they do two, win 2-1 on Sunday morning, I'm just going to retire from predicting. <laughs> If they do the win to one on Sunday morning, I will just retire you from my friends' rest. This will be my decision. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, either way, it's going to be great. And I think um, our phones are going to be blowing up unless we uh, decide to go and watch it together somewhere. I was wondering if they'd open Civic Square just for me and you. They just, should. Uh, <laughs> on the big screen, we could just sit there in our chairs, share a bottle of red and, and watch the match at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the, I don't say the mayor, I'll talk to the, uh, to the Cambrab. Uh, how do we call that again? State, state government. Yeah, state government of Canberra is, is yeah, usually like the, the, the reasoning behind it. <laughs> <laughs> football, football is football. Uh, yeah. Russ, th- thank you for uh, for giving me some of your time again and and for previewing no this England against France. We're gonna have to organize a way to to watch it together and uh, and maybe we'll 100%. do some some sort of weird live reaction to any to any goal where we both on the camera oh, and I'll, see I'll how we feel. And I'll bring my World Cup trophy because, you know, it's the closest you'll get to it, hopefully. So you can give it to me and I can go home with it after the win. Well, probably. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, you can take it away and keep it on the podcast if we get knocked out. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Thanks, Russ, for, for coming in. Thanks for your uh, uh, great insight on, on England. And, uh, yeah, I guess made the best win on Sunday morning as long as, uh, as, long as there's a bit of blue on their jersey. Yeah, we've got a bit of blue on ours at the top there, so I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me again, Jeremy. It's been great to be on there. Look, at the end of the day, it's it's a World Cup and really looking forward to the match. And I think it's going to be one of the best we're going to see for quite some time. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Russ. Part two of this World Cup special podcast. And I'm with Dylan Bojicevic. Dylan, how are you? I'm sure, I'm sure tired but happy today. Yeah, yeah, very tired, running off uh, very little sleep. But yes, as you said, very happy, you know, got up and watched Croatia get the win in, in, in a tough match, which I think Japan surprised everyone. So, I mean, it was a good look for Asian football, but at the end of the day, I was happy either way, I guess. Croatia won and that's it. I've, I've been going off pure emotion. <laughs> we're we're going to go back to, to that game, of course. Uh, Croatia barely getting past Japan. Uh, obviously, we first let's touch on on the country we live in, right? Australia, the Socceroos hailed as heroes when when they flew back to Melbourne or or Sydney uh, yesterday morning. A superb tournament, I guess, for the Socceroos and and really made it hard for Argentina. What's your general thought on on the tournament, and what do you think this can this can bring into the game in our country? Well, look, I think general thoughts just, I think that's the first time in a while where when you've watched Australia, you you kind of see an identity in how they're trying to play. Like I understand, yeah, okay, maybe it's not the identity that everyone wants, but I think what Graham Arnold did with the squad he had was perfect. He played to their strengths. He did everything perfectly. 
And no matter how much he gets critiqued, how much anyone criticizes him, I just think his tactical masterclass there was just perfect. And then, as you said, on the side of the game here in Australia now, I think it can only go up. Like, from COVID, it really hit rock bottom, really hit rock bottom. So it was only always going to go up from there. And now they've just gone to the World Cup. They've gotten past. They were in a group with France and the dark horses who were meant to be Denmark, and they got out. And, you know, economically, they've gotten all this money now to spend and to use in Australian football. So now it's, you know, it's on the higher powers to see how they use that money and, you know, if they can invest a bit more into football and who knows where it can go from here. A few firsts in Australian football. History, two wins in, in the World Cup, group two consecutive wins, two um, clean sheets as well. Uh, and and I, was, I was just reading just before we got on air that um, uh, Johnson, I can't remember his first name now, excuse me, the, uh, at the Federation, uh, Australian Federation Football, said that he wants to keep Graham Arnold. Uh, he, he wants to make that his priority to, to sign him back and to give him into the next World Cup. What's your, what's your thought on that? Is Graham Arnold still... The guy, or would you rather have somebody who, uh, you know, like maybe uh, Kevin Muscat or somebody who has a philosophy who's a bit more uh, playing football to come and sort of like take over and reap the fruit of what um, Arnold did? Yeah, so I saw that as well, yeah, from James Johnson. Um, Johnson excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, you know, I think at the moment it's a bit too early. I think it's kind of everything that's being said about Arnold is out of just kind of emotion. Um, everyone's kind of, you know, over the moon and what he's done with the team. And so they're looking to, you know, keep him on. But I do think that it is time to move on from Arnold and possibly look. And I, I say that on Arnold's behalf as well, you know. Like I think for him as well, it's probably best that he looks to move on and maybe looks at getting back into club football or, you know. I've heard there's talks of other national teams in Asia that want to, you know, try and snap him up. So, I guess only time will tell, but I think for me, they've got to look at someone else to try and, you know, bring the game forward. And as you said, Muscat could be one. I saw Aloisi's name, you know, tooted out there, but I'm not too sure how, you know, how true that can be. I think, yeah, living on a high for Arnold would probably be a um, a good call. And, 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 you know, as as we all know, in and around the game, it must be emotionally draining to bring a team uh, to the World Cup to get them to to get out of the groups after the, the exhausting few years between COVID and the critique and barely making it into the, the tournament. I'm sure the, the guy's tired. So, uh, yeah, living on a high is, is actually also a, a good way to make sure that the next job you have is a good job. Because uh, we've yeah. seen too often coaches not doing well eventually and then you struggle to get a, a good project or you're getting sent to somewhere where you don't really want to go. And, uh, and yeah, anyway, so, so yeah, it, good, good to hear that. So that are your thoughts of, uh, on the Australian game. And yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, the development happens, uh, I guess, a bit faster than it's happened in, in recent years. I was just reading this weekend that they're finally thinking about pushing up for a stadium, a new stadium in Canberra. Uh, hopefully, that means that an A-League team's coming here. But of course, we have the A-League women and then we have the World Cup at home next year for, for the women's football. So hopefully, all this uh, ties in nicely. To, to help this country grow uh, as far as uh, as far as the round ball um, goes. Anyway, the rest of this uh, of this tournament, of course, with the with the front page football uh, team, we've had a lot of chatter about what was going on, what could go on. 
um, the surprises. It started, of course, with Argentina losing and Germany losing, and then Germany didn't make it back. Argentina did. Um, you know, which teams at the beginning of the tournament you thought would be there and then didn't make it, and and which teams, I guess, were you surprised to to even see making the round of sixteen besides Australia? Oh, you know, I think. Honestly, I, just to start with even Group A, I thought Qatar would go, you know, a bit further. I, you know, obviously with the training camp and it was well documented and all that stuff about how, you know, how much time they spent together, which can prove, you know, to be a really good thing, especially going to tournament football where all these international players are coming off, you know, not even a week's break from their clubs. I thought that that Qatar side was at home going to be a revelation but unfortunately they kind of let everyone down um you know i won't ramble on too much other teams that i thought would do a lot better were you know serbia for example that one was more just from heart you know but (laughs) i thought um the attackers they had they should have done a lot better but in the end they scored a lot of goals but their problem was at the back and they leaked a lot as well so you know as a famous saying goes attackers win your games and defenders win your titles and in that instance it was very true very true indeed Qatar back on the host because it's true that it's I mean you know it's not a team that you expect to to win it even though they were at home uh, but we've seen upset from from home cities before obviously um you know it's, it's easy to talk about South Korea in in 2002 making it to the to the semi-finals uh they look like they were prepared they look like they had done the work what, what do you put that to you think it's the nerves of of doing something at home? Do you think it's just it's just that we're not at the level anyway? But, I mean, you know, we've been in Saudi Arabia working because, we A, they didn't play well, and, B, we didn't even really see, um, like, the rage, the intensity, the the willingness to actually get a result at home. What do you put down to? I'd say that I think it was just a kind of, you know, it can maybe be a little bit of getting bored of each other in a way. You know, when you come into an in- international environment, you're coming into, you know, a new environment, fresh faces. It's kind of like a new beginning for everyone. But when these guys are with each other for six months, it can be, it's a bit of overkill. So I think from my perspective, looking at that, I think they were, you know, a bit burnt out. And then they come to a home world cup where a lot of pressure is on them because of all the talk of, you know, every home nation, Practically, you know, there was a very well, it was well documented that a, that a high percentage of the home nations got out of their group. And I think, you know, the group they had wasn't too tough. I think they definitely could have gotten out. But I, as I said, the pressure got to them. Yeah, unfortunately, it would have been, yeah, it would have been good. But yeah, I guess, I guess I get what you're saying with being bored of each other and like, it takes a special coach to get the momentum at the right yeah. time within the group and uh, and a special team as well to make sure that the momentum hits at the time you want it to hit. So yeah, yeah. I, mean, I watched I watched one or two of their games and they just looked flat as well. They looked you know yeah. so energy sapped and it was you know it was incredible to watch. Like you would have thought they'd be the opposite, but you know it was just, just had looked like they were playing without energy the whole time. So I think that's where that burnt burnt out comes into play. Yeah, where everyone was talking about, they have the advantage of knowing the the temperature and getting used yeah. to to playing under that weather at that time, etc. But uh, but yeah, he, he wasn't meant to be. Eh? And now here we are at the uh, almost uh, at the at the cusp of the quarterfinals. There's two more games to play tomorrow morning. 
Uh, it's Tuesday night here in Australia when we're recording. There's Morocco, Spain, and Portugal, Switzerland um, to record tomorrow. And, and I feel like we, we've we had, uh, I think you might feel the same way, Dylan. I think we've had a bit of a uh, an emotional elevator there. We went to the round of 16 with, what was it? One, two, three, four, three, five, six teams that were not Europe or South America. And we're going to get to the quarterfinal with zero because unless Morocco tomorrow create a surprise against Spain, um, yeah. I, I guess the hierarchy was respected. And, and, you know, Australia, the USA, Senegal, South Korea, Japan this morning uh, are all out. Is that, you know, it, is that I was talking about it with, with Russ in the first part of the of the podcast. Is that a little bit the European football, the South American football is too strong or is that just you know, a game's a game and Australia could have done it and Senegal, if they had scored that first chance, maybe they could have created the dark. Japan obviously was 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 very close. Is that encouraging for this emerging football or is that discouraging because they can't even make it to the quarterfinal? I think it's encouraging. Like if you look at the games, you know, you what if you actually watch, you know, the, the games and the moments that happen, I say for instance in the Senegal England game, you know, Pickford makes a really good mm-hmm. save early on. If that goes in, you know, and a bit of quality, don't forget Senegal's without was without their best player, Sadio Mane. So already what they achieved without him was, you know, <clears throat> amazing. But as I said, it, it was a game of moments in all those games. <clears throat> Other than probably the Netherlands-USA game, you look at the Australia game, you know, and a mistake here or there from Matt Ryan that costed them. Um, you look at the, the Japan game today, as we already talked about, you know, penalties is just really luck of the draw. So the South Korea game, you know, that's Brazil just mm-hmm. the best game of the tournament that they've had so far. And, yeah, I think that's what you're going to be seeing now with these really good sides that have a lot of quality, a lot of depth. And that's the that's the main component, the depth. I think when you're looking at these games and, you know, you're playing back-to-back for a week, two weeks after every two, three days, the death becomes really important. And these sides, these European, South American sides, they've got the quality in the starting 11 and they've also got the quality in the in the other 15, 14, 15 players sitting on the bench. Yeah, you would think teams like, um, you know, South Korea, Senegal, even Japan, you could have thought that before this morning game, that they've used so much energy to get out of the group that by the time they get to round of 16, uh, they might be a bit tired and they're facing yeah, teams exactly. that we're expecting to go far. So they're getting ready to to jump up. I was going to say it could be true for the three teams because Japan did so much in the group. But Japan in the first half against Croatia looked looked ready for blood. They were Amazing, they were yeah. intense, pressing high. Let's let's go a little bit into that game because I know just like me, you were awake at two a.m. Yeah. Australian time to to <laughs> watch in. Uh, Japan was impressive. I mean, Croatia got it at the experience, but Japan really gave a good fight. Yeah, they did, and. I think they played a bit on the uh, on the older squad that Croatia had, and they knew that you know if they could just get in their faces a little bit, which not the really the only other team that did that was Morocco. When you know from the three group games that Croatia had, and they ended up drawing the law. So I think Japan recognised that early, and you know they pressed pretty much from the get go, as you said. They saw Croatia weren't looking to play out; they didn't really want to, and when they did, you know they coughed the ball up especially Modric, as I said, didn't have his best game. So I thought, you know, Japan definitely thought, you know, this could be our day. And 
they approached the game with the right mindset, and I think that was the most important thing. Yeah, Modric, Kovacic, Petkovic, even, uh, and even uh, who, what is them? The guy getting after Budimir. Yeah, I feel like you know three, four players of that Croatian team just just weren't up for it uh, in the round of sixteen. Is that is that worrying signs for uh, when you're facing Brazil next round? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's short turnaround, and you already know with with a team like Croatia. This again comes back to depth. They're going to pretty much go with a very similar eleven, other than maybe Petkovic. who might come off, and they, you know, they might bring an Orsic or something like this. Another, well, sorry, another striker. Um, I think, yeah, it's 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 going to be tough. And I, as I think De Bruyne's quote about Belgium actually comes into play for Croatia about the older squad. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it's with the older squad, an ageing squad, experience is good, but you do need the legs to to go far in this tournament. To try to try and find a way to get those. There is there is some sort of a of another generation coming though. Like we've seen uh, we've seen Orisic getting some minutes, we've seen Lovro Majer getting some minutes. Uh Luka Sucic is, is too young, but he's doing uh marvels in, in Australia. Um Josip Sutolo. Isn't, isn't far either. So there are some players that are going to be good for later. Unfortunately, there's um, there's Ivo Gerbic in there. He doesn't he didn't do really well with in Ligue 1 with Lille, but but he's doing okay when he comes in in uh, Atletico Madrid. But that's where I'm going with that. Um, yeah. You also have a goalkeeper who's probably going to be good for the next eight to ten years, uh, maybe a bit less. Uh, and, and who was exceptional this morning in the penalty shootout. Of course, this win is his win. Um, Livakovic, how, how good was that to see uh, to see your goalkeeper saving sa- three out of four and saving them three out of four penalties? Oh, it, it was good, but I think you know at four thirty in the morning, I was just so frustrated at how <laughs> how bad Croatia played. I was just like just waiting for the game to end so I could go back to sleep. But yeah, it was it was you know, I, other than the first penalty from Japan, which I thought wasn't the best, the other two saves are really really good saves. And going back to those those moments, just a bit of quality in those moments, and you know that's that's the difference between going home early and going through to the next round. I'm wondering if uh, if he won himself a, a transfer somewhere else in Europe, Dominic oh, Lukovic. He's, yeah. he's, only, he's only played for uh, uh, Zagreb and the and the Dynamo um, all his career. He's only played in the mother country. Uh, but he's been international for the past ten years, all all youth categories with Croatia. So uh, it's sure, surely a way to make a splash is to save three penalties in a uh, in a World Cup round of sixteen. Yeah. Uh, the, the quarterfinal. So we we quickly touched, of course, on Croatia Brazil. Um, Brazil is strong, and and Brazil definitely turned up this morning against against Korea. You mentioned it a, a crazy first half. How how and can Croatia Stop Brazil? I, I don't think so. I think it won't be, you know, as high scoring game because Croatia's defense has probably been their best, their best third so far in this in this tournament. So I don't think it'll be as high scoring there. Um, but then Brazil's defense has also been amazing. So I think possibly Brazil to win two 0 You know, I just think the football they play is second to none. The only really way that I can see Croatia is 
you know, breaking them up is maybe with Petkovic up front and trying to, you know, play on a counter that way with, with Petisic and and whoever it may be on the right wing, you know, he might go with Mayer or can't, I can't remember who was there starting there today. Kamaric, yeah, yeah, Kamaric yeah. as well was on the right. So uh, that's really the only way I can see Croatia getting some sort of result. The other quarterfinals that we have, uh, we spoke about um, France England with rest earlier. Um, the, the Netherlands Argentina. I'm, I'm just just before we touch on on Netherlands Argentina. I was looking at the 2018 World Cup because I was wondering, you know, the, this this table looks nice. Like if tomorrow the favorite go through Spain and Portugal, we are going to have Portugal, Spain, Croatia, Brazil, England, France, Netherlands, and Argentina. This this look like I, I don't mean no disrespect to any other nation. This looks like a, a real. A real walk-up, like it's unfortunately almost a super league where you only have the team that you know should be there. There, when you look at yeah. 2018, on one round, on one side of the draw, you had Colombia, England, Sweden, Switzerland, Croatia, Denmark, yeah. Spain, and Russia. And Russia got rid of Spain in the round of 16. On the other side, you had France, Argentina, Uruguay, Portugal, Brazil, Mexico, Belgium, Japan, and and you know France got out of here because we're that good. Um, but but it was it, it felt like. You know, it felt like it was not as hard for England to get there um, in 2018, um, even for Croatia, excuse me, because Croatia eventually went there. Um, This this one feels a bit harder, but there are a few similarities. Uh, Croatia in 2018 um, draws against Denmark and has to go to the penalty shootout to get to the quarterfinal. Uh, Belgium, yeah, 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 right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Japan in uh, in 2018. um, plays against Belgium and holds them to a draw until the last second and with the last kick of the game, almost Nasser Shadley scores for Belgium and gets Belgium through. So Japan was almost there. Brazil just was more comfortable than in the group when they get to round of 16 and get rid of Mexico. Uh, there, there's a few similarities there. And, and at the end in 2018, Croatia was a bit of the surprise um, when they went to the, to the final. Although, like I said, on their side, when you look at the teams, it was basically either them or, or England. Do you think we we have, and if we do have a surprise in those eight teams left? Again, I'm sorry if I'm saying that, but if Switzerland and Morocco aren't going through, we're talking about Portugal, Spain, Croatia, Brazil, France, England, Argentina, Netherlands. Do, do you think one of those eight teams, which is not France or Brazil, which I think are the favourites, can, can make it to the final? Can get rid of one of those two teams? Mm, it's going to be very tough. I think. I can't see anyone, you know, other than those two that you mentioned. Maybe Netherlands could surprise a couple of people, you know. Getting past, I think they'll get past Argentina and then possibly a bit of luck of the draw on the day and you never know, they could get a win or a result against Brazil. But other than that, I don't I don't see many other teams. On France's side of the draw, I think England, you know, will trouble them a little bit. I think they'll be able to get past and then... Luck of, you know, Spain versus Portugal. I think France will be comfortable against either one. It's interesting that you talk about Netherlands. Russ said the same thing before. Like, this is the Netherlands getting through um, getting through Argentina almost easily. They are, I feel, a little bit of the the dark horse, right? Mm. We kind of, no one really talked about them. They kind of went under the radar. I mean, they have one of the best defenders in the world, of course, with Virgil van Dijk and, and next to him, two um younger uh, defender with Ake and Timber. And there, there's a little bit of inexperience in, in that side. You know, the 
Dumfries and De Young and Gakpo that is giving a chance. No pet at, at the keeper as well. Of course, there's Class N, Depay, Blind that, that are here to, to help. Uh, but it's a team, yeah, I think that it's flying under the radar, but that kind of has almost almost everything and, and a very Dutch way of playing, for lack of a better word, uh, where it's attacking, 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 using the width of the pitch. Um, they can, you, you, you just said it, you see them going through Argentina. Uh, they could be the support of the tournament, you think? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I think, as you said, they've they've got the quality in all the positions. So I think they, if there's anyone that's going to trouble those two sides that you mentioned, I think it'll be in the Netherlands. You don't even need data playing uh, playing Xavi Simons, who's not even 20 years old uh, yeah. in, in that World Cup. So it's uh, yeah, it's a good nation. to. I mean, it's always a great nation of football, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Netherlands, but it's good to see them uh, coming up at the... Uh, at the right time to, to put you on the spot a little bit um you kind of said you know who you think is is going through and not if we if we have to play the game of uh, of predictions Dylan and I know last time that I got you on the predictions you you started saying that you reckon three Asian teams are going to make it and then you just left us hanging so we had to guess me and Antonius who, who those three teams <laughs> were uh but, but if we play the the game of predictions so Netherlands Argentina you reckon Netherlands goes through Brazil, Croatia. You think Brazil is through? Yeah, Brazil. Yeah. Do we see a Brazil Netherlands semi final on the other side? France, England. You're more on the French side. Um. Yeah, I'd say France will go through. I think and, and England. If... I think just England hasn't really had a you know a tough test so far, so they'll be a bit surprised by France. You'd say it offline as well. France, England is probably the the final of that side of the draw. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. And, and yeah, I think I think a lot of people agree with that. Uh, just. Tomorrow, Morocco, Spain, and Portugal, Switzerland. If you have to put, uh, if you were a betting man and you reckon one of them is is an upset, which one is it? The Morocco game. Yeah, you reckon Morocco? Yeah, I think Morocco just physically they could. You know, Spain's not really a side that's physically that great, and they're not really a side that does like to get into those physical type of battles. There, you know, the traditional Spanish sides are tiki taka. You know, these small players that move the ball quickly are very good technically, but not so great physically. And I think Morocco, not totally the opposite, but that, I think they'll trouble them more than Port- than Switzerland could trouble Portugal. It's another uh, non-political game, Morocco against Spain. Uh, yeah. Se- separated by uh, by the little um, yeah, yeah. Detroit, or they're actually a bit of a bit of Spanish, um, a bit of Spain in in the American Moroccan territory, even. Yeah, uh, with Melia down there. Um, so, so if if there's a surprise or not, um, then France would play either Morocco, Portugal, or Spain. Um, which which then again here you you reckon France goes through? Yeah, I think France would comfortably be either three of those sides. So so final, you'd you'd reckon it's a it's a France Brazil situation or France? Yeah, I think, so. I think France Brazil. That'd be that'd be sick. That'd be quite a quite the game. Yeah, it would. It would. It would be a very good spectacle to watch. And once we get there, who's 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 taking the oh, famous trophy? I'm, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I think we. Oh. I'd say Brazil. I'd say Brazil. Wow. <laughs> I, think, I mean, honestly, it's a fifty-fifty between those two. Yeah, it could go either way, but I think from my heart here, I'm saying Brazil, just because you know they haven't won it for so long. Such a rich footballing nation as France are as well, but I think just from that 2018 World Cup, what France did to me in that final, did to Croatia, <laughs> I think 
I just can't leave that down. <laughs> I don't let. I don't want them to have. A, I don't want. A yeah. I don't want that to happen again. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I did. I. I for a second, I forgot about the Croatian side, so they, they, they <laughs> I can understand a bit better. I have, I, without even my bias of of being French, um, I just don't. I just, I just don't want Neymar to win <laughs> World Cup. Fair enough. I just, I just have a bit of a. A bit of bad blood against the against the kid. <laughs> just because I think he's such a wasted talent. I just think he's, yeah, he could be the best player of the generation. And instead of that, he decided to go easy and and to not work as hard as others yeah. could have. And I don't know why I'm feeling dirty about it, but I'm feeling dirty about it because it could be because he could be so good. Like I'm, I'd love to see Brazil going to the end for players like Richarlison or Lucas Paqueta uh, or even Vinicius because they're, they're talents that are working hard and that are working that their trade. Uh, but Neymar, I just can't, I just can't stand it. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I think you, you and many others, to be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but 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 we, you know, we have to be objective. And this yeah. morning, they really, they really showed up. So, so we'll see. It sucks that Morocco and Spain's at two AM Australian time because I'm not going yeah. to be up a, a third day in a row at two AM to watch <laughs> it. But, uh, I don't think I'm going to do that. Yeah, no, I'll see if the highlights are are, are worth it. Um, in the end. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, thanks, thanks for uh, giving me a bit of your time and, and coming onto the the pod. You know, I kind of hope that we talk again after the the Croatia against Brazil game and that we have yeah. an accent on our hands. That that'd be awesome. I hope, yeah, I hope so. Be be some interesting games coming up. So, um, I'm sure you look. We'll we'll be interested in those, and I'm sure there will be one upset. I hope there'll be an upset mm-hmm. uh, to speak about. But if there isn't, then even better games to watch. So, you know, can't go wrong either way. It'd be They're going to be special quarterfinals regardless. I mean, it's, it's yeah. the final. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's the end of the line for the, for the World Cup. So the, the next 10 days of football are going to be for sure special. Gilan from, from Pitch Football, thanks for being here with me today. And, uh, and I know we'll speak soon. Take care, mate. Perfect. Thanks for having me. 